You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. According to Standard & Poor's, barring major reforms to the healthcare system, market forces are bound to take their toll, and there's no mechanism to guarantee the survival of even the most important inner-city hospital. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm with Mike Kalias, journalist and author of The Hospital Gap. Mike has worked as a reporter for the Associated Press. He was a healthcare reporter in Rhode Island and freelance writer for the Modern Healthcare Magazine and Hospitals and Healthcare Networks Magazine. He is currently a reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. Mr. Kalias has recently reported on the widening gap between rich and poor hospitals in the Chicagoland area. Mike, how do you think the hospital gap that you talked about is affecting the physician that's on staff at either a wealthy or a poor hospital? Well, from the physician's perspective, I think, you know, number one, I guess most importantly for the physician in terms of in terms of salary, I'm not I'm not sure. It's my sense that it may not make that big a difference. It's not as though these these inner city hospitals that have trouble investing in in new infrastructure or new technology are hiring lousy physicians, and the, the quote rich hospitals are hiring more talented physicians. I don't think that's the case at all. And actually, some of the some of the hospitals I talked to at these these smaller urban hospitals in in low income areas sometimes pay better than one of the big academic medical centers downtown. Um, you know, they oftentimes they don't employ the, the physician directly. They, they uh, contract with a physician's group, and so they're actually able to make more money. Um, you know, I guess it depends on your level of uh, comfort in the type of technology you're working with and the equipment you're working on and, the, and just the facility you're working in. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times it's important for a physician to, you know, feel like it, it can be more rewarding to work at some of these inner city places. Uh, as opposed to a, a hospital where uh, you have mostly well-off patients, and so it just it really can be just a, a personal personal preference. Yeah, I think it. I think it really does become a personal preference. Uh, physicians, if they're going to choose between an inner city and a suburban hospital, I don't think their decision is going to be based on money at all. I think uh, it's going to be based on their their moral compass and where they feel that they should be or that they want to be. And I, I think the money difference is not that great to make a big difference right. in their decision-making. Right. So, you know, is there something that a physician should ask when they're interviewing at one of these hospitals that can guide them in their decision-making? Well, it's a good question, Matt. I think a physician's going to have a sense ahead of time just based on the hospital's reputation or maybe that neighborhood, um, you know, if this is a financially weak or financially strong hospital. But it wouldn't hurt to look at the hospital's financials. And, you know, if they've been losing money on their operations, for example, um, showing a loss on operating uh, operating profit for, for a few years in a row, that could be a red flag. They could ask the hospital about its capital spending plan for the next five years. At least that would show if they're at least thinking about upgrading uh, the OR, for example, or expanding the, the emergency department. But, you know, this is a, this is a longer-range threat, this, this, capital, uh, this capital problem that some of these hospitals face, at least in Chicago. None of these places, I think, uh, at least that we know of, are going to close tomorrow. So I think physicians generally know, you know, who the stronger and weaker players are financially, and that, that may or may not matter to them. Uh, but it, it can't hurt to know what's going on financially within the organization, and, and sometimes it's not altogether easy to, to find out. Right. Historically, on job interviews, you have two parties that are both misrepresenting themselves. <laughs> exactly. Very similar to dating. 
and everyone wants to put on their best mask and show. So I, I think, uh, I don't know that a hospital is going to volunteer to the doctor. They want to get on staff that they're losing money and they're about to go under. No, you're exactly right. I think everybody's going to kind of know what they want before they even get to that interview. Are doctors gravitating towards the richer hospitals that can afford new facilities and technology? Obviously, it, it seems more appealing and I would rather be in a nice, pretty environment with the newest toys and gadgets. Yeah, and I think that gets to gets to the point earlier about uh, about personal preference. And you know, a lot of physicians I talk to really, I mean, they really thrive in these sort of more chaotic environments in the urban in the urban hospitals. I mean, it's it's challenging. The acuity levels are higher oftentimes with these patients. Um, they do find that rewarding, I think, uh, and, and sometimes more interesting. And a lot of times there's more autonomy at these places. I mean, they're not uh, teaching hospitals uh, for the most part, so you don't have that distraction. You, your call schedule is typically a lot better. And so, you know, I think, but clearly, a physician recruitment is going to become more of a challenge for, for these hospitals as this gap widens um, and the quality of the infrastructure and equipment deteriorates because I think, you know, it's difficult to practice on a piece of equipment that's four generations behind what you might be able to get uh, at another place. And uh, again, information technology, I think, is viewed as such a such a patient safety imperative now that doctors are going to expect to work on, um, eventually anyway, an electronic medical record. Um, you know, it's not just a convenience anymore. It's, it's actually a, there's a risk management element to this. I mean, I talked to a, an ER doctor who works both at one of the big academic medical centers downtown, and he also moonlights at this small community hospital on the south side, which he which he loves. But this place does not have a computer system to track patients electronically. So if a patient comes into the ER who might have been seen there a month or two earlier, all that patient's information is handwritten and stuffed away in a medical form in the basement. You know, and he you know he worries about uh, about eventual lawsuits. He feels like an electronic record of what what transpired in that patient visit is a lot better than than something scribbled down on a piece of paper. So those technology issues um, can come into play. Are there any options available for these inner city hospitals to to get the cash they need to keep up with the, the big boys, the rich boys? I mean, most of them can't borrow money from the same the same source that the um, you know the big banks that that issue the bonds that pay for these huge construction projects. I mean. Uh, you know, their options are pretty limited, and oftentimes it's really just going to the government to see what they can get. I mean, sometimes states can give small capital grants. Um, Illinois has done that from time to time. One hospital I talked to got $5 million to expand their ER, which was just totally jammed. I mean, they were seeing double the number of patients that the place was built for. Uh, another got a few million dollars to modernize its operating rooms, which were 70 years old. And, you know, once they did that, outpatient surgeries grew almost 20% the next year because doctors liked the new facilities, they liked the new equipment, and they were more inclined to schedule surgeries there. So, you know, they, they can find sort of, you know, the state can throw them a bone here and there, I guess. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, without the real donor base, and without the commercial debt, and without cash from your own operations, either state or federal government, and the federal government does have one big program, the Federal Housing Administration does provide big loans to hospitals for capital projects, but there's only so much to go around and you still have to show, you know, you still have to meet certain thresholds. You have to show an operating profit and sometimes hospitals don't qualify. It would be nice to have some sort of tax available on cigarettes or alcohol or something that would stay in the neighborhood and go to keeping the neighborhood's hospitals up to date. I'm curious what other ideas you have that could 
help close the gap? Well, that, I mean, that's one that seems like it seems to me those sort of uh, sin taxes on cigarettes or gaming um, have sort of, sort of already been earmarked for other things that politicians have seen fit for. I mean, I think you know, funding, operational funding of these places, so state money for public aid patients, for example, I mean, that's always, you're always going to have politicians fighting for those for those sources of, it, of, of income for these places. But I think when you're talking about capital needs, it's such a long-range concept that uh, I think it's hard to get policyholders' attention, uh, policymakers' attention of, of the issue. And so, you know, they, they'll keep them in business if they're important enough, I think. They'll find revenue streams for these safety net hospitals, but uh, to find big chunks of cash to let them, um, say, replace a crumbling uh, med surge bed facility, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard-pressed to find that those kind, those kind of dollars. What do you think that's going to translate into for the patient? Well, I mean, for patients, I think, you know, if you live in one of these low-income neighborhoods, the worst-case scenario would be, you know, eventually uh, this, this issue takes its toll on the, your hospital, your community hospital, and, and it closes. That would be the worst-case scenario, and now you've got to take, you know, a lot of times these people rely on public transit. You take two buses to get to the next close hospital and you know that's an inconvenience that may you, know, you may skip your next dialysis appointment or whatever it might be I mean ultimately again like I said at the start it, it becomes uh, a public health issue I mean even if just a few of these important safety net hospitals go away uh, the access to care might not be adequate in some of these neighborhoods to be able to provide care to their communities it seems to me that this is is happening and it's going to continue to happen and it's just a uh spiraling downward into a, an apocalyptic nightmare where <laughs> there really is no hospital to serve the patients in their neighborhood. You know, what's the Mike Kalaya solution? You know, I don't have one, but I, a couple points have been raised by um, Standard & Poor's. Uh, their report raises one, one possibility, and that is you do have intention being paid to this issue of the uninsured, and that tangentially should help these places. I mean, if you have, you know, a big chunk of your patients who are uninsured, let's say 20 or 30 percent in some of these cases, and now most of those are on Medicaid or some sort of some other form of public aid because of some reforms either at the state or federal level, uh, those are patients you'll now be getting paid for, which you didn't before. And so uh, you'll have some cash flow um, there. You, that might just be the difference between being able to qualify for some, for some type of loan or, or bond and and so that is held out as one hope uh, for these places. It's just the broader reform of, of what to do about the uninsured in the country. The second thing that would probably have to happen, you know, a lot of these, these hospitals have been there for 70, 80, 100 years. And, you know, one of the CEOs I talked to has told me, uh, you know, these places are just here because 100 years ago that's where someone decided there needs to be a hospital. And no one really knows, you know, is that where we need the capacity? Is it 20 blocks away? Is it, you know, do we need uh, a trauma center here? And so I think for someone to step back and sort of, uh, there, there needs to be a broader planning process. If there ever is capital that becomes available for these places, they may just have to somehow get together and figure out where it's best spent because replacing, you know, a dozen of these facilities um, in, in inner city Chicago, I don't think is, is a viable option. So is there anyone out there who is is looking out for these little guys or for the people that their hospital is going to go out? Who 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 cares? I mean, are politicians involved? Politicians are involved to the extent that these places need to make payroll. And, and in that sense, they either the state or local government is smart enough to know that, you know, especially some of these real key safety net hospitals that, you know, have 
70, 80% plus occupancy and, and are relied on heavily, those places I don't think are in risk of closing. I mean, you're going to have these capital problems and, and the inability to invest, but I think they're going to keep them limping along. But again, the, the, the broader issue of being able to being able to spend money to upgrade your facilities is is a longer term one, and I don't know that, I don't know that there are many people looking at it. But I think you know some of the smarter people, like uh, the people that actually loan money for these things, uh, and the bond rating agencies like Standard and Poor's, having taken note of this in, in the last few months, even uh, in warning of bankruptcies and closures, I think could start to get some people's attention. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Mike Kalias, for the uplifting prognosis on the future of inner-city hospitals. You have been listening to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.